Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Saturday, July 9th, and this is Celtic Speed here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Coffin one more time. Today's show, episode number 468, featuring WEI Statmaster Brian Barrett. It's powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today and use the promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. All right, everybody coming at you. It's, it's what, 2 o'clock Eastern, right before the Seas tip off their first summer league game in Las Vegas. Pumped for that one, 5.30 tip against the Miami Heat. Should be, you know, let's just hope that nobody gets hurt here uh, in, as we all enjoy a little summer league basketball. Um, I'm a little basketballed out after this year, but I will tune into summer league stuff just because I love watching, you know, the younger guys play. I haven't tuned into much of summer league stuff yet. Uh, except for like highlights of Chet and Paolo and, and Jabari and Jaden Ivey, just to get uh, used to the, the top guys in the class. But uh, Summer League is coming. It starts today. We'll get into Summer League Celtics in a little bit. Evan Valenti joined by my guy, Brian Barrett, WEI. I said Statmaster. I got to tell you, Barrett, like nobody comes. I mean, we talked about this last time in terms of stats at weird times of the day. But even Bradford, I think, acknowledged that you are the Statmaster at WEI. Am I wrong about that? I try, Evan. I see what I can do. You know, I, I, I didn't play in the NBA or the NFL, so I got to find my own niche, man. Right. But Barrett's coming at us from a really cool spot. He's at the. Are you in Consiglione's seat? Like, what seat are you in? You in the booth? No, I would. I would never take his seat. I'm sitting by the row behind where he ordinarily seat, seat, uh, sits. Rather, but yeah, I'm in the Red Sox booth, getting ready for a game today. That's why I'm glad we're talking about the Celtics now, because the Red Sox have not been fun to talk about whatsoever. Yeah, it's been a disaster. We're gonna ignore I'm that. We're going to move on. We're going to move on just because I'm embarrassed for everybody around there. And I'm, I'm just sorry for you. You got to deal with our buddy, JJ, John Jastrzemski later. He's going to be tough to deal with, buddy. I just apologize for that. There's no way. Yeah. I mean, you can't really say anything about the Yankees right now. They're on pace to be one of the greatest teams in the history of the sport in the regular season. So there's nothing you could really say right now. I guess the only thing you could say is when's the last time you won a World Series? 2009. I guess the, that's the only rebuttal. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, the regular season's fun. Actually, win something, then we'll talk. You know what I mean? We'll talk about you. Uh, you know, if they don't win the World Series this year, it's a complete failure. Just uh, no pressure, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but we again, last time we spoke, well, at least Adam and, and Keith Smith spoke. The, there was a little bit of breaking news in the middle of the show, which usually never happens. It's usually after the show is recorded and I'm editing it, where some major news will break. But this time, in the middle of the show, Danny Ainge's, uh, I guess. And not protege because I I don't really know how to put it, but Brad Stevens pulling the trigger on Malcolm Brogdon sends out basically nothing, gets back a great piece, uh, albeit at a, a pretty decent chunk of salary. But if you're you know like me and Adam and a lot of other people are, that were listening to Wick Gross Beck and Company talk about how they spend in the tax, well, Wick and everybody else just put their money where their mouth is. Something's into the tax and and getting a good player at that to bring them over the tax. And it was funny. 
a lot of you out there and you in the comment sections and you are in my mentions and mentioning all of you. And I got into a little bit of over the Celtics need a point guard debate. And I was adamant that Boston did not need a point guard really to solidify their team. Um, I would have argued at the time that getting Danilo Gallinari was a huge deal for this team because you could have a little bit of half court scoring at a wing position to help out Jalen and Jason not playing the whole time. Um, but what helps is Malcolm Brogdon kind of also does this too, uh, but also brings the playmaking facilitating aspect that I think a lot of you wanted. So, you know, as you look at everything, Barrett, it's hard not to, I mean, again, you can talk about the health thing and we will get into that, but it's hard not to look at the Brogdon trade and say, wow, Boston and Dan and Brad and, and Ime saw what they just went through and said, you know, it would be a perfect guy to put in the middle of this uh, eight man rotation would it be Malcolm Brogdon. They get, you know, a great player for not a lot. And this just seems like the most seamless fit humanly possible. Am I wrong about that? No, I'm completely with you, Evan. And I think two things can be true, right? Because I was in the campus. They don't need a traditional point guard anyway, even though, I mean, I really don't even think most of those players exist anymore. Like Chris Paul, who else is a traditional point guard? Because with Smart on the floor this year, the Celtics had a 116.4 offensive rating and the best team of the NBA were the Utah Jazz at 16, uh, 116.2. But I think two things can be true. You can watch the playoffs and say, you know what the Celtics could really need use additional playing. And that's exactly what Malcolm Rodman provides. So I don't think it's out of bounds to say he's just an addition to the team. They've already said that he's going to come off the bench. And one of the things I really like about Brogdon is I feel like, okay, yeah, the price probably wasn't as steep as it should be for a guy of his stature because of the fact that he's dealing with injuries. But the Celtics, because of the depth they have, they can use a guy like this and take him on. And the other thing I would mention, too, is like people look at his raw shooting numbers and his three-point percentage, et cetera, was down last year. But if you look at just his catch-and-shoot numbers, he's 42% right around there for his career. And when he actually played with two guys that are better than him, which he'll be doing here with Chris Middleton and Giannis, that was at 43%. So I just look at what Brad said right after the season. And I liken him to Brad, uh, to rather Dave Dombrowski because Dave Dombrowski, and this is in a good way. Don't go nuts. This is in a good yeah, way. I was going to say, I'm not, a, it, we're trading yeah. off young pieces for Chris Sale. <laughs> oh, no. Well, Dave Dombrowski would tell you in the off season, what he was going to do. Fred Stevens said in his press conference, I need shooting and playmaking. Well, he got shooting in Gallinari and he got shooting and playmaking in Malcolm Brogdon. And just refreshing that we have a guy that's telling us exactly what he's going to do. And then he does it. And I think if you go back to what transpired in the finals, the biggest weakness for this team was additional shooting outside of the big two. And then secondarily, the bench, right? The bench was outscored by 37 points in the finals. They were 26th in bench scoring the season at 30.2 points per game. Well, you just strengthened both of those weaknesses with two guys that you brought in. And what did you give up? A first-run draft pick who's going to be like the 29th or 20, we hope, the 30th pick? I mean, you didn't give up anything. And, look, maybe Neesmith turns out to be something down the road, but it wasn't a work here with this group. Yeah, and the, the odds of you hitting at the end of the first round, although Boston's done a good job, Grant Williams, Rob Williams, Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, you know, Desmond Bain, obviously, the one that hurts the most because they had him, but then they had to trade him away. And, the, you know, it's the exact guy that we need at this point. But it's like, yeah, those guys can be there, but you can also screw that up, you know, pretty easily too. That guy could amount to absolutely nothing. I mean, it's, you know, you're, it's, it's a dart throw. And as you get further down the draft, like the dart throws are harder to, to nail. I mean, yeah, Jimmy Butler has been found on there, you know, Draymond Green's second round pick. Uh, Nikola Jokic is the greatest pick maybe in the history of the NBA being a second rounder and turning into an MVP guy. Like there are, there are guys there, but like, okay, a lot of that turns into luck. Right. 
and, you know, having the right opportunity for said player. Like Boston, given this particular roster, like it's going to be hard for Peyton Pritchard to get time. And he's been in the system for what will now be his third season and is a great shooter and gives him something. But like now you look at the roster, Peyton Pritchard's like maybe not going to play that much at all. Like he might be the next guy moved out for maybe a, a piece, you know, in their big rotation. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's like, you know, if they pick a guy at 28 or 27 or 26, like, okay, you bring him in. But, like, is he just going to be Shemi Ojale and, and just barely play? And if he doesn't hit corner threes and he's just not going to – like, you have to understand when you draft a guy, the situation you're putting him in, like, it, it's better for Boston not to have the, you know, the 28th pick, the 29th pick in the draft when the guy that they're getting, Malcolm Brogdon, is going to, like, play 25, 26, 27 minutes a game for them. So, you'll easily take that trade off. It, it, this is actually – I I, I was going to get this a little bit, but, like, this is the one thing I like about – Brad more than Danny is like Brad is like we don't care about picks we don't care about them like if we're going to be a good team we need to have veterans on this team that fill out the roster better and some I mean look it can happen I'm not saying it can't happen like but the odds of you bringing in a guy at 28 who's going to play serious minutes for you in the playoffs is just not going to happen right now and, and as we've seen this is a team you know whose window of opportunity is absolutely right now and they, they yeah. recognize that yeah, it's the less need approach. F the picks, right? Exactly. Just go after your talent. And that's what they did with Malcolm Brogdon. And I think just on Brogdon, and I'll run this comparison by you, and I know it's not exactly an apples-to-apples comparison in terms of the position, but I felt like, and I know they went to the finals last year and all that, and it was an incredible season. I'm not disputing that. And it was time for Gordon Hayward, and they needed to move on from him, et cetera. He was not happy here anymore. But I think about what Gordon Hayward meant to this team, even if he was a diminished version of his prime. What he was is like he was the connective tissue of the offense. Whenever he was on the court, they ran better offense. And I look at the numbers going back to his final season here. They had a 115.92 offensive rating with him on the court. Dallas led the league that year at 115.9. He shot 50% from the field. He shot 38.3% from three-point territory. And if you look at Malcolm Brogdon, it just felt like at times in that Golden State series, the Celtics lacked to make a play and hit shot it. He could do both those things. And one other thing that... You notice with this team, they didn't really have, outside of Jason Tatum, somebody that could really run a pick and roll. And it may sound simplistic, but they really didn't. And Malcolm Brogdon last year, 87th percentile, I get he was hurt a lot and as a pick and roll ball handler, shot 47.8%. So he can do so many different things for you. And now coming here, he's not going to be overtaxed where it felt like in Indiana, he was out of place. And this isn't meant to be an indictment on him because he fits perfectly in with the Celtics, but he's not going to be the best player on a team. Well, if he is, you're not going to be very good, as we saw with Indiana. But having him go back to where he started his career, he was the third or option at times. It just is going to make this team so much deeper. And quite frankly, it's going to take a lot off his plate where he doesn't like his numbers are down. He's down across the board last season because He's taking pull-up jumpers. It's not who he is. He's a catch-and-shoot guy. He's a playmaker. And it just feels like this is, if you're going to drop the pin, it would be him because of the fact, you know, he's big size too. So long wingspan, tall guy that can play the point guard position in terms of the defensive situation. And look, nobody's smart, but he's pretty damn close to it. (laughs) If you look at it, this guy was in the 96th percentile last year as an ISO defender, 95th two years ago. So it's basically he fits into the ethos of this team in every sense. You needed a shooter, you needed a playmaker, and you need somebody that can hold up defensively, and he can do all those things. Like, if you were going to drop the perfect fit to come into this team right now, 
I don't think you could come up with a better player than Malcolm Brogdon just based on his profile. Yeah, I like your point there. It allows him to stay. Excuse me. Allows him to stay big, right? One of the big reasons why I was anti go get a point guard is because one of the big advantages that Smart gives you at that position is size, right? Most point guards are not Marcus's size, and his size is a big advantage on both ends. He can post up smaller guards, and he has no no problem guarding up or down. I mean, certain guys. I mean, Curry gives everybody problems, so. I'm not going to say it's like he's the perfect Steph Curry defender, but Marcus guards most of the guards in the NBA very well. And when you have that as an advantage, right, being big as an advantage, adding 6'5 Malcolm Brogdon in there is only going to enhance your advantage. You know, Brogdon's a heck of a rebounder. I know he only had six rebounds per game last year, but, you know, when you, when you put him in a lineup with Miles Turner, who's going to gobble up everything, it's going to be a little more difficult for him. But you're going to be – you're going to be able to stay big and you can play smart and Brogdon to the floor at the same time. Like they're going to be able to stay big on the wing, stay big at guards and keep that advantage. That was my biggest point with this point guard thing was like, you're taking like, what was one of the biggest reasons people loved Boston over golden state? It was their size. You know, Boston just had way more big guys and way more depth at that spot than golden state have. Now that didn't matter because Steph Curry was unbelievable and carried them in game four and Boston fell apart in games five and game six, pushing the ball over too much. But, like, adding to your strength, like, it's just something that Belichick does a lot. You know, and if Belichick does it, it's probably something we should also consider. It's like, don't take away a strength of something just to create a weakness somewhere else, right? Like, if you bring in a smaller guy, well, now you have a deficiency in the, de- in the defensive end, like, when it really matters. And, like, at this point, we're talking about when it really matters, and that's the NBA Finals and deep in the NBA playoffs. Like, in the regular season – Boston's going to be a terrific regular season team because of how deep they are now if everybody stays healthy. But now you're thinking about it like, okay, first round, second round, third round, as you saw throughout the entire playoffs, like the rotation gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, the guys like Pritchard are on, the, you know, can't play because he's too small. Derek White at least gives you some defense. You know, his shooting might not be great, but he can at least hang out there defensively long enough to keep him in the ball game. So it's like by adding another guy – who allows you to stay big in big moments and playoff moments, this is going to be ginormous. And, and, you know, the injury history is concerning. There's no question. Um, but, like, if you go back to his rookie year, I know it's a long time ago and many injuries ago, but you go back to his rookie year in Milwaukee, 26.4 minutes a game. He played 75 games, by far the most of his entire career. I think that the game plan here is, and if you look at the last couple of years, 33 and a half this year, this past year, 34 and a half the year prior, 31 um, when his first year at Indiana. Like, if you can keep Brogdon in the 26, 25, 27 minute range, like, that's going to be, you know, that, that might help him. I'm not going to say it's going to help him stay healthy because we don't know, but that, that could help him stay healthier in finding a way to keep, you know, Horford, Rob, Gallo, Jason, Jay, like, keeping everybody fresh. That is the mission of the regular season. You know, that's what we need to be most concerned about. Yeah, and I think, too, like that Golden State team during the regular season, Steve Kerr plays 9-10 guys, right? If you look at it from Ime Adoka's perspective, this isn't an indictment on him. He didn't have that luxury, and it's not even an indictment on Brad. The team was just short last season. And then once you get into the postseason, and if Pritchard's not hitting shots, well, then – What's the point of having him on the floor, right? Because, I mean, he's going to get exposed in some sense as hard as he tries defensively. And I thought he did an okay job on Curry at times. He's going to get exposed on that end of the court. And with this team, I love the point about Brogdon and his minutes because 
I feel like that is a trickle down effect too. You can keep his minutes down, but also like Tatum and Brown played so many minutes after January, right? And Tatum basically didn't stop playing basketball for like 13 months or something, right? I mean, you think about it, he went to the Olympics, he played. And I do feel like I'm not saying that fatigue is an excuse, but it was definitely a reality. It was definitely a factor. And the Celtics had some bad losses that put themselves in that situation. But now I feel like for Ime, there's so much more pliability with the lineups he can put out there. Like he's like a defense lineup and he throws out Tatum, Smart, Brogdon, Grant, and Rob for like a five-minute period. Who's going to score on that group? And then say he wants to go like an offensive group, you can throw out Tatum, Gallo, Jalen Brown, throw out Al Horford for, for, for some spacing rather for your big man and put Brogdon out there as a shooter as well. It's just I feel like there's so much more flexibility with this team when last year it felt like he didn't really have a lot of options. And I love the fact that Brad – and. The Gallinari, uh, Gallinari thing, too, I feel like that is sort of got underrated as well because people look at, like, some of his numbers defensively. Like, I wouldn't get too caught up in that. Like, you don't have to play in the fourth quarter with him left in a playoff game. What he does, he increases what you can do from an offensive perspective because of his spacing. Because I keep coming back to this Draymond Green quote where after game one, he, remember when he's, like, looking through the box score? He's like, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, and he's referencing their shooting. Well, the reality is this. He, as good as Grant was as good or as much as he improved, he still doesn't have that reputation. Neither does Horford. Like, teams will let Horford shoot, despite the fact that he shot north of 40% from three during the postseason, but they'll let him shoot. They're not going to let Gallo shoot, and I do think that helps with the turnover issues, too, because Tatum's driving, they're helping, or Jalen's driving, they're helping. Well, they're in a bind if it's Gallo or Brogdon out there, more so than any other of the other guys they had last year. Yeah, making life easier for Jason Tatum's a huge thing in that. Yeah. And I'll get the Gallo thing, like, was when it was first floated out there that, like, Gallo, you know, could get bought out and there was, you know, some interesting language in his contract, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, well, that's the guy. Like, if I'm Brad, like, that's the guy I'm looking for, some size that can really shoot and stretch the floor. And a guy that, you know, he's, look, he's not really mobile. I never, I mean, you know, well, you know, he was somewhat mobile when he was younger, I guess, but, like, he's not a really mobile guy. But you have to account for him out there because he is such a great shooter. He's a great free throw shooter, too. So if he ever gets to the line, those are pretty automatic. And that spacing lineup is just going to be amazing, not just for Gallo, but it's going to be you know, making life easier for Tatum and Brown. And that's what that's what your goal should be. Your goal should be, how do I make my life easier for these two guys? And if you look at that lineup of Brogdon, you know, Brown, Tatum, Horford, and Gallo, like is, is like J- Jalen the, the worst shooter of the bunch out there? <laughs> or is it Horford? And, it, and even at that, like that's what an amazing luxury that is. Like, and that's really hard to guard. Like if you have to guard Al, you know, 28 feet away from the basket in the, or 26 feet you know, from the basket in the corner or something like that, you know, it allows you to, A, have easier lanes for, you know, driving into the basket, which Malcolm Brogdon is very good at doing. Jason Tatum's getting better at that. Jalen did a great job second half of the year finishing through contact into the basket. But if there's less guys in the paint, because that's where the problem was. If you go back and watch the Milwaukee series, the Miami series, and the Golden State series, look at how many guys are in the paint when Jalen or Jason is headed that direction. There's like four guys there. And, you know, if you get your hands low enough, which is, you know, these uh, Miami did a great job that's trying to sweat the ball away. You know, as soon as the ball gets into the paint, you dive after the basketball, you know, it's loose ball going back the other way. And then now, you know, Boston's trying to catch up defensively. It's an easy, you know, two-on-one, three-on-two, whatever. And Boston, you know, digs himself a little bit deeper. But Gallo's ability to stretch the floor, A, but B, just come in when one of them is on the floor and at least be an offensive 
you know, guy for the other team to think about. I mean, when you're out yeah. there, when it's Jalen Grant, Derek White, Rob, and, you know, Smart, like who the hell is anybody really worrying about out there? Not a lot of guys. Now you put Gallo out there, now you put Brogdon out there, it's life's a lot easier for the, your two stars. And that's, to me, you know, you I, I thought Gallo was going to be a huge deal, but then Brogdon coming in later, you know, trumps that, not a big question. I mean, it, we all think, I don't think anybody thinks that Danilo Gallinari is a better player than Malcolm Brogdon. But, you know, the Gallo piece is also important. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's going to allow them to play this four-on-one, five-out style that's going to enhance the driving ability of your two best players. Yeah, it's a really good point, too, because I'm with you. Like, the idea is making life easier for your two stars, and these two players certainly do. And the Gallo thing, I I was, like, happy with that. And then it's like, wait, they got Brogdon, too? Like, how the heck did this happen? But And I think, like – with Gallo, he's more versatile of an offensive player than people think. I don't know if it's just like the stereotype. He's a European player, so all he does is shoot and doesn't play defense. I mean, it's just not true. I mean, so catch and shoot numbers last year, threes, 99 of 236. That's 41.9%. You look at his drives, because he's big, like it doesn't look it doesn't look good, but he just yeah. like barrels the basket. Like he can drive closeouts. It looks kind of clumsy. But 165 drives, he shot 49.3%. And he can post up. He was 37 of 66 on post-ups, 46.1%. Of players with 140 post-ups, that was fifth and first behind LeBron, Durant, and Aiton. So he actually can do more things. And then when you look at it like, okay, if your worst defender is six foot ten and he's not a center, right? So it's easier to expose those guys if it's a center. If he's a wing, it's it's not that hard to it's not that um easy to do. I mean, I go back to the finals. Remember, we all assumed that Bialitza was gonna be somebody that the Celtics could go after. Well, if you don't fly by him, then it's difficult, right? You like you can't just pull up on a guy that's six ten. It's it's yeah. not an easy thing to do. And I, I looked into his numbers. So last year, ISO defender. And he'll get attacked more this year because who else are you going to attack on the Celtics, right? Yeah. 83 possessions, team shot 30 – or a player shot 37%. So it's actually – it, it was actually better than Jalen Brown last year. So I'm not telling you he's a better defender. I'm just pointing out yeah. that it's very difficult to expose a guy that plays on the during the regular season. When we get into the postseason, okay, sure, we're going to have those questions. But for the regular season, I don't know why we're talking about his defense being such a liability. It's not going to be like healthy diet – during a regular season game, hey, we're attacking Gallo the whole game. It just doesn't happen on a night-to-night basis. Sure, in the playoffs, but not on a night-to-night basis. Well, not only that, Boston's going to have four-plus defenders around him, too. So it's And, like, the way they they scram and they are able to, you know, push guys in certain directions. Like, the, one of the things that Boston's defense was extremely good at is, like, if you get a guy in a pick-and-roll, um, you know, and they're switching, like, how they can switch and, and move things. Like, you'll see Smart, like, move from one place to another – and leave his guy for a second. The whole defense rotates so Smart gets back in. So if you're not running a really quick pace offense, like, you know, the Warriors can do, you know, it, Boston will have time to recover to get back and help Gallo out. Like, I, having one defensive liability in the roster is not going to be a huge deal when he's six foot ten. I mean, if it's, again, if it's Pritchard at 6'1", different story. But this guy's taller. And, it, and just being that tall helps out a little bit. And, you know, I, I – it's funny to watch Brad operate, right? Because goes from the bench right to the right to the front office, and you could make the argument that it was actually the best guy for the job. Now he's going to have, you know, Mike Zarin, who I don't think is enough credit of anybody in that in that staff. I think Zarin is. I'm just I'm I'm glad he's a C's fan because if he weren't a C's fan, I think he'd be somewhere else by now. But he's really he's a really excellent GM. You got Austin Ainge in there. There's a bunch of other people in that front office. 
But Brad's a guy going from the bench to the front office role where he has direct, you know, uh, impact on what the roster looks like. And there is nobody better than the guy that just sat there coaching this team. He's like, I know what we need. And, and unlike Danny Ainge, I'm willing to trade off future first round picks to get it. That's the one Danny was always, and you watch this Utah thing. He's going to hoard all these picks. Like when Donovan gets traded too, they're not trading any of them. You, you know, you're lucky if you get one, if not, you know, you're asking for two. Oh no, Danny's out. My point being, and my question to you, Barrett, did Danny hold this team back? Because you get Brad in there and he's done a few things, trading Kemba to get Horford back and unloading a pick there and unloading a pick to get Brogdon and, and unloading a pick and then a pick swap to get Derek White. Like all those moves have made perfect sense, both on paper and then last year on the floor. Like I, I was listening to, not to shout out my own company here, but like Bobby Manning and John Zanis were doing something for the Garden Report and they were kind of trashing Derek White and in, in in his performance in the finals. Now I'll admit, Derek White wasn't phenomenal in the finals outside of the first game. But, like, you don't get to the NBA finals without Derek White, and that's a fact. And so to call that a bad trade, I'm not doing that because if we don't trade for Derek White, you probably don't get to the NBA finals, and you don't you probably don't realize what you actually need, right? You know, not getting far enough, you might make a weird trade for somebody else, but getting Brogdon, such a smart pick, and it gives him exactly what they need. So my point being, again, did, did Danny Ainge – with all of his pick hoarding, hold this team back from accomplishing more things in that last little short window they had. Yeah, and to the Derek White thing, well, the first round pick is already gone. Who cares? It, it was like the first round. In all likelihood, unless something goes terribly south, you're not going to lose the swap, right? Because right. in all likelihood, you're going to be better than the Spurs unless something dramatically goes wrong for this team. But, yeah, I think two things can be true as it pertains to Ames. Like, we can't diminish what he did building this team, where he hit on Tatum who everybody thought Fultz was the top pick. Everybody was like, who the heck is Jalen Brown? He Jalen Brown was booed, legitimately booed when he got drafted, right? And then you think about it, he's been crushed for some of these picks lately, like Neesmith and the Bain trade, but he hit on Grant. He hit on Robert Williams late in the first round. So he deserves some credit for that. But today, Danny wasn't going to push this team over the top. And I'm completely with you. I don't see him making the Derek White trade. I don't see him attaching a first round pick to get rid of Kemba Walker's contract. So I do think you needed a new set of eyes on things. And I didn't like it at the time, the way the search went, like, I'm like, all right, if you eventually land on Brad, that's fine. But it was like, there was really no search for the new general manager. But now, like, as I sit back and I see what Brad Stevens did to your point, it did make perfect sense because he was there every day. And think about the players he's getting rid of, right? Romeo Lankford, he, he was around for a couple of years. So Brad's very good in terms of player development, right? He saw Grant Williams. He saw Robert Williams. He knows what these guys are going to be long-term. And he said, he's a guy worth getting rid of. Now, maybe Aaron Neesmith turns out to be a decent player in Indiana, but Brad deemed, okay, maybe he's not the perfect fit for us either. Maybe he's not going to develop long-term. So I think he does a good job of identifying, this is going back to the Nebraska thing, identifying the guys like, that we're not going to be big-time stars like Santiago Espinal and trading him for Steve Pierce. That's a crazy reference. But you get my point. You're looking at these guys saying – Like Anderson Espinosa for uh, – who's the lefty they got from San Diego? Uh, Pomeranz. Oh, uh, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Pomeranz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they gave up nothing for Kimbrel, Manuel Margot. That was the best guy, and he's been on, like, two teams since then. But my overwhelming point is Brad probably looks at it as, okay, what is Aaron E. Smith's best use to the – 
Boston, uh, to the Boston Celtics, it's getting a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. What is Romeo Langford's best thing? Sending him off and getting something in return for him, right? So Brad took those assets that were somewhat, somewhat damaged, I would say. They definitely diminished in value since they stepped foot in the NBA. And he got something of quality back for them. And I don't believe that Danny does that because Danny did have sort of an attachment to the guy he drafted. I think that goes without saying, right? So now Brad doesn't draft anybody, so who cares, right? It's like the mystery box thing, like uh, it's that family guy bit where it's like, you know, you either have a boat or you could have what's ever inside the mystery box. And Peter goes, there could be anything, Lois. It could even be a boat. So it's like in this particular case, Danny's like, you know, the next pick could be Tony Allen or Rondo or Avery Bradley or, you know, whatever guy they've hit late. Or they might suck, you know. And Brad's like, you know what I'm going to not do? Worry about that. I'm just going to get – good players that fit our scheme and fit our, our model. And it's worked out so far beautifully for Brad. We'll see how, you know, this season goes upcoming. But again, I think he's done a good job trading off the picks they've had to get really good assets. And it's not like, you know, Bro- the one thing I'll say is, <clears throat> you know, Brogdon's 22 million um, is a nice, you know, little thing to have in a trade to, to match salary. You know what I mean? It's not the worst thing yeah. there. We'll get to match the salary in a little bit, but uh, some other news around <clears throat> basketball right now uh, pertains to a former Celtics player. Aaron Baines out in Las Vegas currently uh, working out for a bunch of teams. Uh, according to, I think Bullpet had it. Um, I think other people have had it too, but C's were there. They were watching the workout and Bullpet, I think in his latest column mentioned that the connection between Baines and the Celtics makes a lot of sense because Boston's looking for one more big man for their roster. I think that's the only thing they need right now at this point. Uh, Thomas Bryant spurns them to go to the Lakers, have fun, whatever, don't care. Um, Thomas Bryant would have been nice. I'm not trying to say he wasn't, but, uh, you know, if he's going to get a chance to start, that's obviously going to be a way bigger deal for Thomas Bryant, the ability to, to cash in on the next contract after that's much easier when you're playing more minutes. Um, but Boston does have a lack of, uh, you know, some big depth, um, you know, on their roster with Al Horford being 36, Rob coming off his surgery and playing through, I, I got I to gotta admit, uh, pretty impressive playoff stretch considering the injuries he was he had at the time. Uh, Grant Williams is a smaller guy, so you don't really want to play him too much. You know, Luke Cornett's a great mascot, and, uh, you know, his family loves being a part of the Boston Celtics, so we love having that. But Boston surely does do, need one more big guy, and there's a couple ways they can go. Do you have a favorite, you know, big guy that they should target via trade or signing, you know, minimum sign and bring in here? Because the Baines thing has a lot of people jacked up and juiced up about it. Yeah, number one on my list would be Dwight Howard. I'm kidding. I don't want Dwight Howard. No, I have I have kicked that around. I kicked it around a little bit in my head, and I just can't get like because Dwight has rehabbed his his, his you know his career a little bit here. The yeah. last couple of stops, it hasn't been bad. I think it's been like some self awareness with Dwight, knowing that he's not you know Orlando Dwight anymore, and if he can recognize that and harness his stuff to be a more positive player, you know, as like a third big like. Maybe that like an Andre Drummond, you know, comes off the bench, gives you a couple minutes, you know, blocks some shots, gets some rebounds, you know, throw him a lob or two. But uh, yeah, the the prime Dwight days are over. But I don't I don't think he's as bad of a character risk as he used to be. Yeah, I think it's definitely where they have big man. I think they can get away with it early in the season. I know you said the thing about like Grant, but I think you can get away with it early in the season going in with Al and Robert Williams. And I'm sure they're going to try to give Cornette a couple more minutes, like. You don't bring him back if you're not planning on giving him some minutes, right? So maybe they are. And then I do feel like when you get close 
closer to the trading deadline in the buyout market, that's sort of like the easiest thing to do because it feels like that position has really lost its value, right? It's like teams don't want to pay a ton of money for that position unless it's the elite of the elite. And if not, they feel like they can get similar production for guys that can do, can roll to the basket, can play a little bit of defense. But to me right now, I feel like the fact that that's what we're talking about, that's where we're at, where that's the last piece that this team needs, it's pretty impressive, right? Because we're not talking about a big, massive need, and it's something you could address later down the road. Now, if you want to kick the tires on Baines, I'm all for it. I mean, I trust Brad's ability to judge whether or not he's going to be able to stay healthy or right and everybody loved having him around I mean he's all of Australia so if he looks healthy enough to go I mean I wouldn't mind giving him a shot but and then the other thing is if he doesn't work you can always move on from him and bring in another body at the trading deadline right so you know it's it's been a while since we've seen Aaron Baines play um for those of you that weren't aware of the injury history there uh a little uh you know tough spell at the Olympics for Baines it's, it's actually quite a sad story about how um, he like kind of collapsed in the bathroom and like woke up and had like, you know, I think he was, he was concussed, maybe bleeding a little bit. And, you know, he had a really scary injury, like, you know, maybe like there was potential for some paralysis and stuff, but it was, it was, wasn't a, wasn't a great one. It's taken the whole year off to kind of rehab from that. Um, if you go back to his last season with Toronto, cause he's going to be 36 here, uh, him and Al, similar ages. Um, he played with the Raptors last 18 and a half minutes a game. You know, it wasn't a huge factor, six points per game. Um, you know, wasn't the three-point shooter that we have seen in the past. So, you know, it, it, I'm not quite sure what's there. And it's not like they're going to be asking a lot of Baines or anything, or whoever they bring in. You know, whether it's it's him or um, Dwight Howard or some people have kicked around uh, some other ideas. Uh, who's the guy I'm thinking of? Whiteside, yeah, Hassan Whiteside. Hmm. Get a little desperate. But, like, you know, those guys don't really play that much. You know, so it's it's not going to be a huge factor, but you know, Baines, the familiarity on this team, and like the last, uh, there's a a Tatum people have dug up. Like Tatum loves Bane, so you know, if you want to make Tatum happy, which I always think is a good idea, like sign whoever you have to do to make Tatum happy to keep him here. Um, that's never a bad thing. But like with Baines, the question is, how healthy is he? Really? Um, and you know, if if he's in good shape and in conditioning, you know. I guess I'm into it just because of what they know about him. They know the way he operates. They, they know if they bring him in, they, they'll probably fit their system. And again, he's not going to play a ton. Like all this is, and it, like, cause it gets you, if you get to the, you know, the later in the playoffs, Baines is probably not going to play. Okay. But it's more about easing the load on Horford and, and Rob. And if Baines can come in and is, has, you know, his conditioning is good. He can at least stretch the floor a little bit, but he's a good locker room guy to have around. I think there's value in that. Some people want to trade for Jakob Pertl, which I think is an, an amazing idea. Um, and the reports say that San Antonio is willing to move off of him. But that comes back to Wick and being like, all right, Wick, how much in the tax are you willing to, to pay? Because you saw Joe Lacob last week talk about how he might have, you know, they might have screwed some things up because they might, you know, people think they're willing to pay whatever it takes to win. And so far they've done that, but we'll see with future contracts if we're still willing to do that. You know, is Boston willing to match that? Is Boston willing to go into the tax a lot? Because getting it, getting Jakob Pertl, that's a starting center that'll be your third center in your roster, which is just a ridiculous luxury at that point. 
Yeah, I can't see them doing that. I mean, I would love it, too, for everything you just said. I mean, his rim protection numbers are insane, and he got that little shot from floater range, that little push shot that is so useful for bigs like Bam Adebayo has it. I mean, that would be an unbelievable fit for the Celtics. I just I can't see them spending the money. Plus, it's going to cost you something of significance to get him, right? Because, I mean, the guy is a really good player. But getting back, circling back to Vange for a second, I do think something that flies under the radar is just like the culture of the team after the excruciating loss in the finals, having to get back to the mountaintop again. Like, that's a long thing. That's a long season. That's 82 games. And having somebody there that everybody likes and everybody, to your point about Tatum, everybody enjoys being around. I do think that that's a positive to have around if he can get if with the assumption he can give you something. But right. really what we're talking about, right, is so, you know, the honest guys are going to be Horford and so I guess really the only big you're concerned about in the Eastern Conference is Embiid, right? I mean, that's the only guy you're really concerned about. So that's why, I mean, I know I poo-pooed the Dwight thing, but he would body him up. Yeah. I mean, at least he's got the size, you know what I mean? Like if he's if he's interested and he's going to play his role, which I think to your point earlier, he kind of has embraced that, right? He was a backup with the Lakers, and he actually played really well in the bubble year when they won the championship he's bounced a little bit around since then but that is the type of player that say okay maybe he can give you 10 minutes on Embiid if that's what you're looking for from that third center position so as much as crazy as it sounds it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to bring Dwight Howard in this Dwight Howard not Dwight Howard five years ago when he thought he should be running like they should be running like 30 post-ups for every game this Dwight Howard he may actually be a useful player for the Celtics even though he's you know the worst personality in the world that used to be at least he's he's changed he's matured with it yeah, that's a great point about Embiid, though, because if you think about the bigs, like, you know, yeah, nobody can really stop Giannis, but Boston has some guys that can at least, you know, make it hard and difficult for him with with certain guys you have, uh, whether it's Baines or you have uh, you have uh, 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 Horford and, and Grant Williams have been, you know, Grant did a phenomenal job in the playoffs. Smart did a great job in the playoffs. Um, but then you have Bam out of bio. Rob Williams seems to be his kryptonite. Um, it takes away the entire lob threat of, of Bam and makes Bam, you know, more of a either want to face up a little bit or a little turnaround stuff. He can't be as, you know, athletically imposing as uh, he used to be if Rob's if Rob's in the game. That's a great point about Embiid. I didn't think about it. Like, that's the only other big you really have to worry about in the entire conference. Like, if you look around the rest of the landscape, most teams are smaller or, like, you're not worrying about the big man in the middle. It's not like, yeah, we're going to spend a lot of time worrying about Miles Turner who might not even be there anyway. You know what I mean? They're not going to spend time worrying about Nick Claxton in Brooklyn. Um, you know, uh, and, um, you know, Toronto goes small and sometimes, uh, you know, they, they will play five wing players cause they're so weird. Um, yeah. There's really not another big guy around that really, you know, it puts the fear of God in you. So if you want to go match up specifically, like we need an Embiid guy that whoever the best Embiid guy is might be the best way to think about it. And I didn't think about it that way, but that's, that's a phenomenal point, Barrett. I really appreciate that. Um, quick break tight. Today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info and odds. Follow the latest sports developments, including odds for the Major League Baseball season. Uh, Red Sox odds aren't great at this point. If you're a Yankee fan, though, you're doing pretty well. Uh, all right, we already have odds for the 2022-2023 NFL season. Patriots plus 4,000 win it all. I'd want to see a game or two first before I lay that kind of coin on that, just because this offense is going to be so much different. 
The defense is lacking some guys. I want to see what they look like before I put some cheddar down, but 4,000, a ginormous number. Speaking of NBA, though, NBA future Celtics, Barrett, plus 600 to win the championship on Bet Online. That is the favorite, and they're the favorite in a lot of books, depending on where you get it. I think, you know, Nike and I were going back and forth, Barrett, about it. I think he saw it at plus 500, plus 550. Right now, Bet Online, best odds that I've seen around a plus 600. Bucks behind it at plus 625. Warriors plus 650, your top three right now. Also, you have early MVP odds for the uh, NBA season for 22-23. Luka plus 425. Giannis right now, an incredible value at plus 600. I would just always lay coin on Giannis uh, for MVP because he's the most dominant player in the league without question. And as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's going to be in the conversation. Embiid plus 700. If you want to throw a Celtic in there, Tatum's plus 1,200. They have rookie props right now for the rookies uh, coming up this season. Chet over-unders, two blocks a game. Overs plus 110. It's more fun to root for the over, but I'll probably come in at the under, to be honest with you. So take the under there. Bet online is your continued source for your sporting wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Just log on today. Learn why everyone is saying bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. Remember that's CLNS50. That's CLNS50. For a 50% bonus when you do sign up. Um, Barrett, we have Summer League coming up. We've somehow gone, I don't know, 40 minutes in this podcast. I haven't even talked about it yet. Um, did you see, though, that they're giving out Summer League championship rings? Is there anything more pathetic than that? Or are you into this? Not into it in the slightest. <laughs> Maybe it'll like force teams to play their guys, right? Like they, they want to get the ring, so they just stay there. Like, because you know how, like, what happens? Like, Chet has a couple of good games. Right, and then they yank Chet out of there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he won't play down the stretch of this. Thing. Maybe that's what happens. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know why the hell they're with the rings. It doesn't make any sense. Well, since it's baseball related, I'll make it somewhat. You're in a baseball spot. I'll make it baseball related. When I was working for the Valley Cats years ago, um, a Houston Astros affiliate, we had we had Jeff Lunau in the building, former Astros GM, and we were talking about you know the importance that they placed on winning at every level. He's like, winning is a skill that you have to develop every step of the way, whether it's A ball, double A, triple A, major leagues. Like, winning is important. It's a skill you have to learn. And we place a premium on winning at every level. Maybe that's the spin here. Maybe that's how they want to go. And, and like, yeah, it's some league championship. It'll force you to – but I don't think this is going to force people to play. Like, unless there's some, like, monetary, you know, involvement here, like where guy, the winning team gets, like, to split, like, a million dollars a couple different ways. Where, like, some of the guys, you know, a nice, you know, six-figure, five-figure check in your bank account, that's a really nice payday for some of those guys. Like, you know, that, that could be useful. But, like, it, at the end of the day, like, this, some of these kind of about, like, don't get hurt. Like, let's see what you got, but please don't get hurt doing this. So, I don't know what the incentive is. Yeah, if I'm Becky Hammond, I'm like, hey, can I get a ring? Because we won when I was the coach. Remember, right. she coached the Spurs. They won the championship, and she doesn't have a ring. So, I'd be like, hey, can I get the ring now? But, yeah, the whole my whole thing with Summer League is – I only like look at it in terms of the guys like I thought highly of, like when they were drafted, like right. Jason Tatum, et cetera. Like, and he played, like, you think back through like these summer league guys that were great. Remember, like, Wayne Selby was like the best summer league player ever, the dude from Kansas. He was just like lighting it up left and right. So I can't put too much stock into it, but I will say this like, what's, what is it? It's Josh Selby, right? Josh Selby, sorry, what did I say, Wayne? Well, who, yes. Remember there's another guy in Kansas, Wayne something. He, he was actually – Wayne Selden, he's – Wayne Selden's a mask guy. 
Wayne Selden. I remember Wayne Selden. He was awesome. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. But I am, I am thinking of Josh Selby, though. That's the guy that he just went completely off. I think his jersey's retired at yeah, Summer League because Zandre he played Henry so well. also went crazy at Summer League, too. Oh, yeah, he was good, too. But I do like seeing, like, the young, the top picks, like, watching Chet block six shots. I mean, that's pretty fun, especially in the middle of the summer. And I think it's good to get those high draft picks out on the court because it is entertaining. Like, I was sort of bummed when Zion a couple of years got uh, a couple of years ago got shut down because he was so good. I get it. Like, they want to be careful with the guy. But I do like watching those stars. Like, I remember when Lonzo was first drafted, and it was like they were going nuts. That team, they were getting, like, crazy ratings with, like, Lonzo and Josh Hart on that team. That was crazy. Dude, the place was packed because the Lakers yeah. drove down from, from L.A. to Vegas. It was the, the place was a, it was so crazy. And, again, the ratings on ESPN were, like, the highest in the history of ever, summer league ever. So, like, as long they as – They were putting it on prime time. I know. <laughs> changed the game. Lonzo changed the game. Yeah, LeVar was right. But it was – it, it summer league's fun. Just again, nobody get hurt. Again, people that the thing that drives me crazy is people are like, "Oh, look at you know Chet's getting bullied around." It's like, yeah, dude, we all know that. We all know Chet's getting bullied around. As you watch the other stuff where he's doing dirt fadeaways, hitting pull up threes, blocking people, like that's that's what we want to see. We know Chet's got to put on weight. It's not a freaking. It's not rocket science. But the other stuff, him doing that at that level is is really impressive. I'm not going to get on Chet for being underweight right now. It's not what we're doing. Do you have any guys um, on the C's summer league roster that you're really excited to watch? Because, like, I got a few highlighted by J.D. Davison, who, if you just go by CLNS Media's views, that guy, that guy's little, uh, like, I got all the, uh, you know, I'm going to be a dog on defense, like that rant. Barrett, that, that press conference clip, like, of, like, eight minutes racked up 10,000 views in less than 24 hours. Like, yeah, people want to see this guy. Yeah, and I do too. I mean, he was like, if you look at it, like some of the, I mean, we can go through it, but I mean, like some of the stuff at the collegiate level was not good, but I feel like if you're going to take a shot on a guy at that point in the draft, you might as well take a shot on like one of the freakiest athletes in the entire draft, right? They came into college with a relatively high pedigree. Like the guy's an absolute crazy athlete. So I am interested to see him just because, okay, like he's the type of guys you take chances on where okay in all likelihood that pick it's not going to work out in the nba the chances of that guy working out at that slot aren't going to happen so why don't you just go for like the ultimate shot because if you miss out on him who cares it wasn't like you were planning on that for being a player for you long term anyway so i love the idea of what that is there players with like trading away half picks but he said okay with the one i have let me go after a guy where in this range of the draft the upside is higher than anybody else there because of the raw athleticism yeah you can't manufacture that and i'm just i want to see the speed i want to see the athletic ability you know his jump shot doesn't look too bad he's working with lethal shooter grant williams his trainer so that's that's a positive he'll get into a better uh better rhythm it'll work out his mechanics and stuff so I'm just curious to see how he runs an offense, you know, how, how capable he is as a ball handler, you know, how is his defense, you know, is, does the athleticism translate to that end? You know, that, that's, that is what I'm curious about because in terms of drafted guys, that's the only guy they have. You have Begaron coming back. Um, you know, he was fun last year because of, again, the raw athletic ability of him, getting far from a polished product, but like a guy that could be just a souped-up athlete on the wing for them. 
Um, that's another guy I'm, I'm really curious about seeing. You know, Sam Hauser in a in a real role instead of being just a shooter. Like, I just want to see what he is because I think, I mean, if there's if there's two guys I think on the summer league roster, maybe three, that have a, a real shot of doing anything with the Celtics this year. I think Sam Hauser is the obvious one because of his lethal three point shooting, and he definitely like he has range. Like, it, there's no joke to that. Like. The idea of him maybe being the Duncan Robinson, I don't think is like too far off. Like Duncan, um, you know, terrific shooter. That's your model right there. Let's see if he can maybe get to that. And then the two big guys, and I think really one of them, Travion Williams, is the one that everybody's talking about. And his passing ability as a big man is something that you just don't find. Like big men that are good passers. I mean, the C's have two of them, and Rob and and and, and I guess you know Grant isn't terrible, but Rob and Al are terrific facilitators, you know, at you know, the top of the key or at the nail, like those guys can both really fit the deal with passes. It seems like they got another one here with Williams. And then, you know, Kevin Gelly, another guy that's just like a high, you know, high end athlete, has played some NBA minutes, had some, you know, a cup of coffee of the Clippers last year. Um, I think from Florida State, I think is where he played his college ball and, you know, long athletic. So there's there's like three guys that I think that are worth paying attention to. And two of which we've never seen on, you know, on the Celtics before. One of which, you know, Travion Williams, we have no idea what he brings to the table. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of curious in terms of where you lie, like anybody else on your radar that you're curious about. The Hauser thing is the most interesting to me because I felt like last year, and this will change this year because they brought in Gallinari and they brought in Brogdon, but outside Jalen and Jason, like they didn't really have guys that could shoot off movement. Like Grant Williams, great spot-up shooter. We all know that he's got his corner office, et cetera. Al Horford, he's going to be at the top of the key. Those above the break threes, right? But they didn't really have anybody that you could, outside of, like I said, Jalen and Jason Tatum, they didn't really have anybody you could just, like, run a pin down for, run them off a screen and shoot. And if Hauser can give you that, well, he may find himself into 10, 15 minutes a night to be that specialist. I mean, we, like you mentioned the Duncan Robinsons of the world. Like, they figured it out there in Miami. I'm not saying he ever gets to that level, but if they can get – 60% of Duncan Robinson on a team that's already completely loaded. Well, it's definitely a tool that's worth having, especially when you're looking for a team playing 82 games and they're coming off that long run last year. If he can give you major minutes in a couple of games this season, I think that would be great for the team just in terms of the overall depth and just an additional weapon off the bench to be able to shoot. Yeah. It's, if, think about it, if he could have actually given you minutes this year, in the postseason, right? Instead of Pritchard, who we all know in the finals went cold. Like, that would have been major if you had another shooter last year. Yeah. And it, that's the – it's like pitching in uh, – it's like pitching in, in baseball. Like you can never have enough shooting in, in this league right now. The, the way the game is played and the way the reliance on three-point shooting and how it can dig you out of a huge hole. Like, I mean, how many how many 20-point leads were blown this year? I think it was the most in NBA history. And I, I don't have the number, but remember, just any 20-point lead is not safe because – a team get hot from three point range. All of a sudden, there's a 15 to two run, and that other team's right back into it. So, you know, if you can have a guy, a dead eye shooter like that, but your point, shooting off movement is a terrific one because, like, think about the guys they have. You, none of them are like smart. Smart will take movement shots, but the confidence going in is always a bumpy road. You know, it's always, it's always if he's standing, if he's standing still. I feel way more confident than what, but like sometimes they'll take these out of the head, the end of the shot clock heaves and they go in. So with smart, it's almost like, how's he feeling that day? Um, but you know, you know, uh, Derek white, we all know is not a movement shooter. 
Um, we know that Al Horford's a set three point shooter. Grant, you know, set three point shooter. That's a great point about the about the the movement shooter. And and Hauser seems like a guy whose shot's hard to block and doesn't need a lot of time to get that off, which in this particular league is ginormous. You know? Yeah. So no doubt about it. So I'm interested in him and. I'm interested to see what Davison can provide going further because, I mean, he is an absolute freak of an athlete. So that is enticing just to see what he could possibly be able to do. If he, if he, I mean, look, and I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm like super high on the guy, but I am at least, let me put it this way, very intrigued on what he possibly could provide down the road. I said on the podcast uh, two weeks ago that I, I, the, the, the high end version of, of JD Davison is like, I watch him and I see like a little Dennis Smith Jr. in there. You know, like there's a guy that's super athlete, athletic, really quick with the ball in his hands, can get downhill. Um, you know, and if you drafted a guy that went like I think he went eighth to the Mavs that year at 53, like it's not bad. It, again, as you said, like that's worth a shot. Like he has traits that translate. And like if you find a guy at 53 who's probably not going to make the NBA at any point, but if he has NBA level athleticism, at least will help. And you know, again, not. These, not every pick is Nikola Jokic here. There's going to be a lot of duds in the second round, so that wouldn't shock me if he didn't pan out at all. But uh, again, those are you know bigger. I, I, it's it's. I'm not sad about it. I understand why he's not playing. But Yamadar is another guy I wish we we could be able to see because another guy with length at the guard spot who can provide a little pick and roll ball handling, maybe some shooting, but definitely some defense. Um, I'm sad he's not going to be around, but I think I'll get over it very quickly, Barrett. Um, but yeah, I, I you know summer league basketball. Tune in a little bit, I guess. How much are you going to watch? Because I know you're going to be doing Red Sox stuff all week. Or weekend, I should say. I'll try to mix it in as often. Yeah, I'll try to mix it in as often as I can. I mean, I enjoy it, like I said, especially when they play some of these teams with, like, the high lottery picks. I'll be reading more those guys. Like, some of these other teams, like, interested in seeing, like, what Houston's building with all the draft picks they have. Oklahoma City, obviously, with the Chad and that group that's just, like, super long. That's intriguing to me, so – I mean, I've been more enthusiastic. I'll say this about watching the Celtics, like when the Tatum guy was playing in summer league or the Jalen Brown guy back in the day, when those guys were playing just smart. Like I was more intrigued than any amount. I think that's a good thing, right? When yeah. you're not worried about, hey, is this lottery pick going to work out? Or, hey, no. should we have drafted Chet with the first pick or Apollo? Like I feel like we're in a good spot. Yeah, that, and that's the toughest part. It's like, you know, every every game everybody's hanging on, like the Tatum – some of the experience Tatum was ridiculous in summer league. I remember like watching some of the shots he was making. I was like, what? And like, he went three, like, why did he go one? Like it was all that stuff. And then you'd watch Lonzo and his, and his shot go kind of crazy. And he had a, I think he, I remember him having a pretty tough summer league. I, I think his shot wasn't falling that particular time. And it was, you know, everybody's talked about Lonzo's shot at Nas at this point. I remember Mark Hall maybe not being amazing off the jump. There was the Josh Jackson experience. You know, the, the Jalen Brown draft, that's Chris Dunn, Brandon Ingram, Simmons, Dragon Bender, Jamal Murray, um, Marquise Chris. Like, Marquise Chris was supposed to go three maybe at one point. Like, you get to watch – like, it was like, oh, thank God, they pick Marquise Chris because he's he's so raw. <laughs> Holy cow, it's a nightmare. Like, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a luxury right now to be like, yeah, we'll see if the guy – they picked the 53 pans out. That's not going to mean anything at all to the actual roster itself. So that's a nice luxury to have. I'm with you on that, Brett. So it's just – it's it's uh, a, a nice contrast to the the white-knuckle viewing we've been doing uh, after the – you know, in the finals. This is going to be as laid back as it humanly gets, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's it's interesting too going back to that 16 draft because I just remember the Chris studying over Jalen Brown. That was such a topic. And if you really look at that draft, it is Ingram and Brown. Like those are the two guys. And Ingram's had a weird situation, I feel like, in his career. I think Brandon Ingram's a tremendous player, but the whole Lakers situation, LeBron didn't want him there. They wanted to trade after LeBron had called him next, and then he goes to New Orleans. But I mean, that that's the debate in 60. There was no debate in, J- in Jason Tatum's draft that he was the best player, but that's the debate, I would say, is Ingram or Jalen Brown. I mean, that would be the question. I know on this podcast, I'm sure that most of your listeners lean Jalen Brown, but that'd be the only guy you can consider outside of Jalen Brown is Brandon Ingram because, I mean, who knows what the heck's going to happen with that guy. They had, they had Murray. Jamal Murray was in that draft, and Murray's been good. He's oh, yeah, that's good. a good one, yeah. Um, and that was the other guy that I – I had two crushes in that draft, uh, Jalen on the athleticism and then Murray because you could just see the shooting translating easy. And I remember they, the number came out because um, the way I think the Celtics, they have you shoot. I think it's maybe the star, but I forget the exact pattern. Um, but you have to shoot like a bunch of shots at each location. And I think it's a hundred. And I think, I think Murray hit like 80 out of a hundred or whatever it was. And I was like, yeah, that guy, that guy and – and you watch him in Kentucky, he was, like, just smooth as hell. And he's he's been one of the good ones. He's been hurt. It's unfortunate. I think – I'm pretty sure Pascal Siakam was that draft, too, which has turned out he really was, well. He was, Yeah, that was a good pick. Yeah, so as long as they end up one of those four guys, if you end up with one of those four guys, he's really well. And the Simmons stuff, Simmons is a great player uh, when he plays, but hasn't played in two years, so we can't really talk about that. But that's uh, – it's been a good show. Bear, did we miss anything? I don't think we missed anything. We covered a lot of stuff. Anything uh, – I don't think we missed anything at all. The only thing that we missed was Will Hardy leaving, and that stinks. But uh, yeah. my faith in Ben Sullivan, you know, he's gonna be he'll be the the summer league head coach. We'll see what he does. Um, Joe Missoula, and then of course everybody's favorite. Well, shouldn't say everybody's favorite, but I'm such a Mighty Mouse fan. With I, I, I still can't believe he's on on the bench for us. I just still can't believe it. I know. I, yeah, I remember watching him play for the Raptors the day. He was so good. He doesn't look like he's he doesn't look like he's aged. I know. He's got like slightly dark, like grayer beard. That's about it. Yeah, but he's still like super fit for it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of guys after they leave the league, they're not fit anymore. He's incredibly fit at this point in time for his life. Look at Emei. Emei's like, Emei's got like dad bod strength. He's strong as hell, but he's obviously not as as good as uh, cardio shape as he used to be. But yeah. Well, I think think the Celtics would win any coach fight in the league. Like who's taking on Steve Nash? (laughs) No way. Steve Kerr? No way. No way. Yeah. He may, well, he may, you know, he, it's that style. His, like his tough style, it comes off in the way he looks. You know what I mean? Like he may's, you know, we guys are playing like a bunch of, uh, I, I can't swear, but, uh, you guys are playing like a bunch of a-holes. Like that's, that's he may's coaching people up. Baby. It works though. You can't fault him for it. All I'm right. Quote. Yeah. Direct, it is a direct quote. That'll wrap it up for this show. Today's show is brought to you in part by betonline.ag. Again, CLNS five zero is the uh, promo code for the 50% bonus when you sign up. My guy, Brian Barrett, I think it's at it's Brian Barrett, right? That's what it is. You got it. That master for WEI. Again, I didn't, I didn't coin him that. I, I believe Rob Bradford did that first. I think he coined you the stat master of EI or whatever you want to call it. But uh, it, it suits you, man. I got, I got to tell you. It's good seeing you. Say hi to JJ and Plavin and all those you know, rascals for me as they come through Fenway this weekend. Hopefully you have a little bit of a better time, you know, than you did the past couple of days. Maybe uh hey, how's your death perception, Barrett? Are you good? How how are you in right fielder at first base? 
I think I could catch a pop-up. I mean, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> We're an issue with that right now. I think yeah. I could catch a pop-up. I hope you can, buddy. I hope you can. Adam will be back next week. Hopefully, Adam, we'll be, I don't know. We'll see how it goes with my schedule. But uh, we'll be back next week better than ever. For myself, for Brian Barrett, for Adam Coffin, please subscribe to the show on Apple's uh, iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. That's where you get all the the, the, the video content. That's where we're honestly. That's where we're heaviest, guys. If you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, then you're really doing it wrong because uh, some stuff goes down in the comment section, um, and it's a lot of fun. It's way more interactive. So do that stuff. We love you guys very much. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Bye.